Well, uh, thank you again for being the church and for bringing it into uh, this room here. We're in the middle of a, a really awesome weekend. This is actually, uh, this worship service turns the corner. Uh, we have had two nights of uh, spiritual renewal services, and uh, today we've had a morning service, and this is our second service. And uh, at the conclusion of this time, we're going to be moving into a time of retreat for those who are in college age and older, and we're really excited about what God is doing. Uh, God's been speaking his word, and he's been using uh, our praise leaders to really take us into the presence of God. Uh, you've noticed uh, half of the folks, if you're a regular here, you may recognize, and the other half may be new to you. Uh, but these are friends of, of Harvest who come uh, and oftentimes uh, labor in love and, and, and uh, pay a price in order for themselves to be here. We don't fly them out here. They flew their own way, um, and that's their desire and their joy, and their, uh, uh, they consider it a blessing to uh, serve the Lord in that way, and so we're so grateful to them for uh, leading us uh, in times of praise throughout this weekend. Um, also, uh, we've got a special guest. Uh, Pastor Justin Kim is going to be preaching the Word of God to us, and uh, throughout every, every service we've had this weekend, I've introduced him uh, this is the fourth time introducing him, so after this, I'm going to stop and let you guys get to know him on your own. But because there's different crowds in all of our, of our worship gatherings, um, I, I think I, I need to introduce him again. He's um, a husband to Virginia. He's a father to Tabitha, Barnabas, and Maximus. Uh, he's a brother to my wife, Olivia, so he is my brother-in-law, and we are family. Uh, long before that ever happened, we were, um, we were friends, playing basketball, uh, messing around, going on mission trips, and causing trouble when we were in college, uh, but just doing things uh, together uh, for, the, uh, for the joy of our friendship, but also for the glory of God as we uh, grew older. Uh, many things that the Lord has been doing in his life. He was uh, in about 10... 15 years ago, he was uh, one of our pastors here on staff with us, so many of you guys who are here for, been here for that time, uh, for that long, uh, remember him leading worship and singing uh, Blessed Be Your Name and uh, the Days of Elijah and songs like that, uh, and just really cultivating a spirit of worship within our hearts, and uh, he's retired from leading worship in that sense, but he continues to lead worship through the preaching of the word at Bethel English Church in Irvine, California, been serving as a lead pastor there for a number of years, um, before that was in different ministry contexts, and um, we were, you know, in, in informal ways, just really good friends, we lived together in seminary, served together at church, um, but we were also in, in, in formal settings able to partner in different ways. We were part of a board of a missions agency that, that resources underground church workers. Um, we we're part of some, some pastoral mentoring groups. And um, there's a group of about 10 of us that we used to meet every six months or so. Um, all of us pastors, all of us um, just been in ministry, struggled through different things and have, you know, seen the, the work of God in, in many ways. And uh, as we got to know each other over a period of a few years, we would kind of peg each other, like, this guy's a guy who's going to make it on uh, Time Magazine as one of the most influential pastors in the world. This is going to be the one who's going to be, you know, become president of the United States and all these different things. And uh, we would joke about that. Uh, when we talk about Pastor Justin, we said, if Jesus Christ was Korean, <laughs> he would look like Pastor Justin. Right, that's what we would say. He is, uh, has the, the smile and the demeanor of a Korean Jesus, and uh, he's been ministering in such a powerful way uh, throughout this weekend, and I know that he's going to continue to do so as the Lord God uses him. So um, again, we did this in the morning service, but if you've been here, or if you know and have been blessed by Pastor Justin, I'm going to, in a second, encourage you to give a big round of applause to say thank you. And for those who don't know, you've never seen him before, I want to encourage you to give a big round of applause to say, I'm eager, I'm ready, I'm expectant to hear the word of God. So let's give a round of applause, <laughs> Pastor Justin Kim. <laughs> I 
I think Pastor Dio just offended Jesus. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> um, it is uh, good to be here. Um, as I shared uh, the last few nights, it's a, a real privilege and a joy. Anytime I get to open the Word of God is an incredible honor and privilege. It really is. Uh, but to do it at this church, wow. And uh, I can't believe it's been 15 years. Uh, and many of you guys may not reckon I was a little bit skinnier, uh, had a little bit more hair. Uh, back then I was single, but now I come back married with three and I'm super tired, <laughs> but super stoked and excited to be here. And what a privilege. I love Harvest. This is a very special church to me. And uh, I'm so thankful um, that, uh, that I get to be here and to share the word with you this morning. Uh, I don't lead worship anymore. It was a forced retirement. It really was. And I don't know how I tricked you guys here that I could sing and lead, but uh, uh, I'm so thankful that uh, I was led into the presence of the Lord by a great team uh, this morning. Uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of Mark. I want to get right into our morning's message. Um, I want to meditate on these words that Jesus gives, uh, Je- Jesus receives rather from God the Father. I want to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I think there are some times um, in my life where when I have a moment to kind of think about it or uh, when life is not too busy, but a lot of times, uh, more recently for me in the last few years, when I went through a crisis in my own ministry, I went through a crisis that led me into uh, some brokenness in my life and even led me to uh, some depression uh, that led me to kind of sort of rethink what my life was, a, was about. And, and I think like um, the question that I was asking myself is, man, like who am I? Who am I? And in a very super, superficial way in a surface level, like of course I know who I am, right? I know what my name is. I know like what my role is, you know, and things like that. Uh, but I was asking like, you know, questions of like in a deeper sense, who am I really? Where do I find my identity? Where do, my, where do I find my value? Where do I find my significance? And I think sometimes because we are living in such a busy world, living busy lives, um, that sometimes we don't have a moment to think about these bigger questions of life. You know, is there a God? And if there is a God, what is the purpose of my life? What is my direction in life, Right? Who am I in Christ, you know, if there is God? What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my life? And why do I have this personality, you know? And why do I have this uh, gifts or talents or these experiences of life? What is the purpose of all of these things? There's a movie that I, I watch, and there's a whole series of them now, and I really enjoy them because it's really action-packed. But there's a, the whole Born series. And the first movie was called, you know, The Born Identity, and it stars Matt Damon as Jason Bourne. And if you've seen the movie, you know how it goes. If you haven't, I apologize, but you got to watch it. But I'm going to tell you what happens is that he wakes up, and he has amnesia, which means, like, he doesn't know who he is. He has no recollection of his life. So he doesn't know his name. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his background. But it's interesting, if you watch the movie, he realizes that he's so gifted. He's got these linguistic skills and he's really good at fighting and killing people. So he's got these, uh, the, the, these skills that speaks of a dangerous past. And it's really exciting, right? And you're like, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's, and there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting in a diner named Marie and, and with a girl named Marie. And he's like, I don't know who I am. You know, I don't know who I, who I am. And she's like freaked out because she's like, you're a killer. That's who you are. But the question is, who are you really? 
Who am I? And I think we have questions that one, at one time or another in our lives that we need to settle in life, that we need to get this right. Because to be known and to be understood as who we, as who we are, who we truly are, it really gets to the core of our being. Because I think one of the reasons why we're so lonely and we're so disconnected is because we don't feel like people really know us. And to be known fully by someone and in the greatest context in an earthly relationship is in the context of marriage when you are fully known by that person, not just the good things about who you are, but especially the bad things and they still love you, that, there's nothing like that. That's called love. That's called marriage, good marriage. And, it, and to know somebody and to give them your attention and to really say, I want to know you, what a wonderful gift that is to give to that person. Because I think people are lonely because they feel like they're invisible in people's eyes. They feel forgotten. And I wonder if you feel like that even in the presence of the Lord. And and so we sing these songs, but you don't feel connected to these songs because you don't feel like it's reality. You know it here, but it's not feeling it in your heart. And so to get to be known and to know someone, it gets to the core of our being. We have questions about about identity. And so who am I really? And I could say, well, my name is so-and-so. And for me, I'm a father, I'm a, a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a Christian. Now I'm a Californian, right? And, and for me, I'm an Asian American. But is that it? We have questions about our security. Where do I find my security? Where do I find my safety? Where do I feel safe? We have questions about our value. Where do I find my significance and my worth? What makes me valuable? And see, to know that we are the Lord's beloved, to be known and to be loved by God is in fact foundational. There is a pastor who's well-known named Rick Warren who ministers down the street from where I live. He says that knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege and being known and loved is God's greatest pleasure. You see, because if we want to serve others, because that's what we want to do. There's, I, I really think there's a reason why when God, if you're in Christ this morning, when God saved you in his grace and mercy through faith in Christ Jesus, when God saved you, there's a reason why he didn't sweep you into heaven right away. But there's a reason why you're on the earth now. And, 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 he's, and the reason why is because he wants you to prepare you for heaven. But not only that, that he wants to live your life for the glory of his name. But not only that, he's given the church a mission, a purpose to expand his kingdom, to make disciples, but also to, you know, serve people, to serve one another, to build up the local church. And so he's given you a purpose and a reason. So until God takes you into glory, while there's life and breath in you, we are called to be resolved to serve. But before you can serve well, you need to be served by God. And so we go, we go and we serve and do great things for God. Even the Bible says, for God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many And so if you want to serve, love others and serve others, we must first receive the greatest love there is in the known world. And that is the love of Jesus Christ. And so let me read the scripture. Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says this. And this is God's word for us. Do you you all stand for the reading of God's word? No, okay, let me just read it, okay. So, because I want to stay with your tradition. So in those days, this is God's word. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, 
and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. Man, this is God's word for us. And I want you to see um, right away, this passage, it records the first appearance of the Lord Jesus since he was seen in the temple when he was about, uh, people believe around 11 or 12 years old, so as a boy. And all we know of the next 18 years of his life are summed up by Luke in chapter two where it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in, in favor with God and man. And so before, for between the age of like 10, 11, 12 years old when he was in the temple as a boy to now when he's about to launch into his earthly ministry for God, those silent years of life of Jesus, I believe were years of mental and physical and spiritual preparation for his work as Messiah and Savior. So we're told here in verse nine, the beginning of the passage that we read, that Jesus came in, in those days, in those days. And, and so the question is, why did Jesus choose this moment, this time to make his identity and his mission, his revelation known to men? And, and the reason why is he came now at this moment in those days, because the time was ripe. It was right as well. John the Baptist blazed the trail as a forerunner of, for the Lord. John the Baptist's crowd was large. It was his ministry was at, the, at its very apex. And then Jesus comes at this time because Jesus, now John had completed his work, the time for him to come to decrease and Jesus to increase, right? It was God's appointed time for Jesus to be increased and to be revealed. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think is really uh, important for me as I think about this passage is that even before, you know, he's lived this life, but even before he launches into ministry, even before he does anything for God, even before one miracle, one supernatural healing, even one teaching, if you will, you know, even before he does anything if you, in ministry, what he does before anything, Jesus, the son, hears these words from his father. And it's the words, you are my beloved son. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. And I think it's powerful. We need to hear these words for ourselves. The first thing I want you to consider is this, is that these, the, the first part of this phrase, you are my son. And it really settles the question about identity, doesn't it? Identity. You, so there's no confusion, you are my son. You are my son. And so, because in the Bible, Jesus had many titles. He was called master, redeemer, rabbi, teacher, Lord, etc. Many titles were a lot, uh, a lot loftier than simply son. But there's nothing greater and more intimate than being called son. Maybe you work in a context where it's, you know, you're, you work for your mom and your dad, right? And, and so, and, and in that work environment, your mom and your dad, you call them boss, Right? But before that, you're, you were, you, they're your mom and your dad, and they call you son instead of employee. Uh, I heard that, uh, you know, Olive, my, my sister is a teacher, and so and in one of the rotations, Elise, her youngest, comes in, and, and she doesn't see, you know, Olive as teacher Olive, but she says, mom, mom, you know? Or I heard a long time ago when uh, Timothy and Jonathan Ye were 
uh, students and their, uh, you know, Sarah uh, was their teacher, but it was hard for them to get to see them as Miss Sarah. It was like, I know you're Sarah, not Miss Sarah, right? But it's, it's like to be called son is an intimate thing. And in that culture, in Jesus' culture, first son, number one, was of highest priority. And maybe you can relate to that if you're Asian American in background because the number one son, they get all the best of the best, right? They get the, 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 the lion's share of the inheritance. And those of you who are not the first son, you're really angry and upset and full of resentment, right? But I love it because I'm the first son of the first son. Yeah, and what that means is that my father is the first son out of all of his siblings, and, and then I am not only the only son, but I am the first son. And, and, so, and then so when I go to uh, Korea to visit my relatives on my father's side, they treat me like a king, and I love it. <laughs> I love it because I'm the first son of the first son. And in this traditional Asian culture, you know, first son is of highest priority. Right? And, and so this is like, and God is saying to his son, you are my son. And to be son is like incredible thing. And, and friends, I don't want you to get caught up with this. You know, it says son and not daughter. You sisters, you, you might get upset. Oh, you know, I, I'm not a son. I'm a daughter. But, you know, we're talking about being children of God. Because men, we are called what? The bride of Christ, right? You just got to deal with it because as a theological, Jesus is our groom, we're the bride of Christ. And so, but the point that I'm making here is that when God says son, yes, he's talking about all of us, sons and daughters, we're the children of God. In Christ, we have the place of privilege and honor as a people of God. We are our first priority. And God the Father reminds his son, he is God's son, God's child. It's a safe place. It's an intimate place it's a permanent place. And so Jesus had a lot of titles, but his first title that he needs to hear before even a single day of public ministry is that he is God's son. I know we have a lot of titles in this room, don't we? Um, which one is ours? What is your title? You are father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, cousin, um, you know, so on and so forth. You are engineer, teacher, professor, consultant, accountant, doctor, nurse, student, teacher, chef, um, so on and so forth. You are CEO, CFO, COO, CMO, CIO, CDO, CTO, and C, uh, uh, CCCC, whatever. Like there's so many C-level positions, right? And a lot of times whatever is on our business card, that is our identity. Our whole identity is wrapped up in uh, and what we do in life to make an earning, and, and, and is that where we should find it? What is on your business card? Because you see, as a child of God, first and foremost, you are God's child, you are God's son, you are his daughter, and as such, you belong to him forever. And we are God's children. And, and so this really helps me because, you know, for me as a pastor, this is so important, so significant. Because I need to be reminded again and again that I am God's child and that I belong to him. Whether the attendance is increasing or decreasing, whether I'm leading a church of a hundred or a thousand, it doesn't make a difference in God's eyes because first and foremost, he says, you are my son and I belong to. My identity is not how I am doing in ministry, 
but it's found simply being known as his child, as his child. Whether you drive a Tesla or a Toyota, whether you drive a Bugatti or a Buick, your identity is not found certainly in what kind of car you drive, no. It's not how you do things or what you do in life, but in who you belong to, and that is Christ. No matter what, I belong to him. My identity is in Christ. And as I look back over the past years of ministry life, and for me, ministry became an idol, and it became a source of my identity. And so when ministry failed, I would feel like a total reject. I felt like a total failure. When my, my message was horrible, and many a days I felt like, man, if, I, if this was a baseball game, I'd be striking out every Sunday. And I got afraid of even asking my wife, Virginia, what did you think? Because I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> and so, and I would just want to crawl. And but because my identity was so wrapped up. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't work hard and study hard and do work well. But it, my identity, my whole sense of identity was wrapped up in trying to be the best pastor I could be. And, and a lot of times when I didn't feel like I wasn't getting affirmation, I felt like a total failure. And I, and, and I realized, you know, no matter what, God loves me, that I'm his son. It's a permanent thing. And so I struggle with this. Being an, I, I struggle being a workaholic. And a lot of times we think like if you are working hard, that man, like people, people admire you. They're impressed by your, your, the way you work so hard. But see, for me, it wasn't like that at all. It was driven by insecurity instead. It became an issue because I, I wanted to do something great for my namesake, to build my own kingdom and to build my own empire. And I also struggled comparing myself with other pastors and other churches and other ministries. So I was always insecure uh, in ministry. And then I had this ongoing uh, discouragement because I always wanted to see the church grow uh, faster than it was always growing. And so discouragement always seemed to come into my heart and my life when I didn't see things happening fast enough. And then I was confused with my whole identity because I began to see my primary identity again as a pastor and not just simply as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, as a child of God. And this led to neglecting my biggest priorities uh, in my life was time with God, uh, time with my wife, and time with my kids. And so I remember my first years of ministry, even when I was serving in a church in Seattle, like I was trying to prove to this church that they didn't make a mistake in hiring a young pastor. And I was really trying to build, you know, and make a name for myself and be, build not a church that's expanding kingdom, but I was trying to build an institution, you know? And, and, and so, and I got wrapped up in that. I was gone six nights a week and, and, my wife with my young infant daughter at that time, she would say to me, like she felt like a, a single mother, right? And then I would get all upset about it. And I was like, you know, the kingdom of God is greater. And then, you know, the, you need to just support me and all these things. And then she's like, shut up, you know? And, and we get into this big argument. Our marriage was rocky. It really was tough. It really was tough. But I was confused. I didn't know that the ministry that God does in me uh, is more important than the ministry that God does through me. That the most important thing for a, a Christian is building intimacy with Christ. Building intimacy with Christ. Galatians 4 says this, 
God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. For you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I love that. That we were once outsiders. We were not even part of the family of God. But the ultimate insider became an outsider so that we who are on the outside can be brought into the family of God. We are now a people of God and we have this great inheritance that the best is yet to come for the people of God because of Christ. You know, as a father, I'm trying to be the best dad I can be and, and I'm not perfect in any way and, 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 and I'm trying to apply this. I'm, tr- I, I, I'm trying to apply these things into my life now and more and more and so I, I, I'm very intentional and deliberate about especially how I spend time with it and especially what I say to my kids and stuff like that because I realized even as a kid when I was growing up, what the, the things that my dad said or didn't say still affects me today. Like I've got father issues and my dad lives with me now and we, we're much better but some of that I realized even grown men at my at church still has hurt and brokenness from the things that their father said or didn't say, right? And so I'm trying to be very intentional and I want my kids to uh, find their identity and be proud that, that they are my son. And so I often say to them, you know, I tell my kids, I am your dad. And, you know, and Tabs and Barnes are like, I know. <laughs> and so, but I tell them, you, you are my kids, you are my child, and I'm proud of you right? You belong to me. And, and, and so I say, and I sometimes look at him and I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, Tabitha Kim, who are you? Barnabas Kim, who are you? Eh. You know, that's Max, he can't talk, but now he's talking better. He goes, Mackie. And so, and, and so, and I say, who's your dad? And I say, just a Kim. And I say, be proud that you, that I'm your dad, you know, and I'm proud to be your dad. I'm proud that you're my kids. And I say that often. And, and I think it's getting old to them, but, you know, I, hope that I want them to see it's like that this is reality. I'm so proud of that. It doesn't mean that, like, they don't drive me up the wall sometimes. It doesn't mean that they're the cause of me losing all my hair. That's, a, you know, but I love them. I'm so proud of them because they're my kids. You know, we are sons, but we act like slaves sometimes. We are his daughters. We are his children, but we act like we don't belong to him. And I want them to know that they belong to me. But superseding that is that I tell them first and foremost, my kids, I tell them that God, the Father, uh, you belong to him. You belong to God, the Father. He is your heavenly Father. The fact that God says to me, you are my son, so powerful, so significant. If you come from a broken home, this is where God redeems and says, you're not broken, you're not forsaken, you're not abandoned. You're chosen. God says, I am your father. The second thing I want you to consider is this. You are my beloved son or you are my son whom I love. And really settles a question about security. You are my son whom I love. The, the world is full of insecure people. I was reading an article a while back and it described insecurity as a psychological disturbance of epidemic proportions. Wow. So is there a cure for the insecure? The answer is yes, that's in Christ. This article was talking about not just, you know, people think women are very insecure. Sisters are really insecure about, you know, the way they look and all these things. But the reality is a lot of men are insecure. And so, but is there an answer for, for insecurity? And the word of God says that you can be secure through Jesus Christ. 
That as a believer, you will find that you are a child of God, God's possession, his workmanship. You are an apple of God's eyes. He is the only lasting cure for insecurity because in Christ, you have a belonging. You have the ultimate belonging because we're all wired for relationship. It doesn't matter if we're introverted or extroverted. We are relational beings. Therefore, community is absolutely vital and necessary for us. There's no such thing as a lone ranger. So not just in Christian life, but in life in general, because we are made, all of us, in the image of God, in that Trinitarian, beautiful, harmonious relationship between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this perfect relationship. We're in the made, made in the image of God, Imago Dei, and a, and a byproduct of that means that we are also made for relationship. We are made to have friendship and a belonging. And it's the reason why sometimes maybe you feel so alone is because you don't have that relation. You don't have that community, a place to belong. The greatest belonging friends is with Christ, first and foremost. And the power of someone saying to you, man, when someone says to you, you are mine, it's amazing. You are mine. Out of all the women that I could have chosen, I said to Virginia, you are mine. She's like, ah. And out of all the men, there's only probably one or two, you know. And, and that's a powerful thing. When your kid hears from you as a mom and dad and says, hey, you are mine. I mean, that's a, a, that's a powerful words of security. I've heard that the greatest thing that as parents, if you are married, to give to your kids is for them to grow up in the security of a romantic, loving relationship between mom and dad. But sometimes we think like the greatest thing we can do is do everything for them and we begin to idolize them because we never got the things that we wanted from our parents and so we go to all the extreme and we just do everything for them, right? We can't even say no to them, right? But just saying you are mine is so powerful. And with God, when he says you are mine, it comes with absolute protection, provision, and peace. It comes with absolute safety. God took all of your insecurities upon himself. Don't you see on Calvary, his death and resurrection purchased your freedom from pain and behavior patterns that produce, that's produced by a life of insecurity. And we need to start believing it. And remember the Lord your God loves you. We are insecure in life and insecure in our relationship with God. We play this game of, oh, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And depending on where the, uh, the pedal falls, you're insecure. You're always wondering, have I done enough? Does God, does God really love me now? And I think this, this is so powerful because remember, again, this is even before he launches into his earthly ministry. And so we are all doers here. And we should do, and we should serve, and we should get busy because, you know, our wall, we're not, our lives are not meant to be just take, be taking up space and not just be living in the four walls of this building, but we have work to be done to do God's work. But sometimes our identity is wrapped up in do, 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 when at first it should be being a child of God, abiding in Christ, because that's where we find our power and that's where we find love that compels us to do and work hard for the building of the kingdom of God. But sometimes we're in the, we do the other thing where, we, where we, just, we run, 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 we do, do, we get busy, busy, busy without spending time with God, without understanding our identity and our security is found in Christ. 
And then we do, and we think, God, surely you must love me now. Surely I've done enough now to earn your favor. Surely now I'm on the train to heaven, right? And when, when that's not what the gospel is, we wonder if God really loves us. This verse tells us that we are highly valued, highly, highly secure in God's love. I love Romans 8.38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I tell, try to tell my kids all the time, I love you no matter what. But not just my kids, but I try to tell people around me, and I want to grow in this area because a lot of times if I confess, if I, if I want to just be um, even more vulnerable, I love people a lot of times with a conditional love. And a lot of times our relationship is contractual. It's like, you know, tit for tat. You do this for me, I'll do this for you, right? It's like a business transaction kind of love. And a lot of times it's like, that's even, in a, that's even happening in the family. And, but I want to try to really grow in agape love, which is unconditional love. Because don't you see, that's the kind of love that God has given to us, this one-way love, right? So even, in, in, even with my kids, I try to tell them, I love you no matter what. No contingent love. No, if you do this, or if you do that well, then I will love you. But I, I think a lot of times, that's what we swim in. And so I'm sure your parents love you, but a lot of times the message maybe you heard was, you know, I love you only if you do this, only if you behave well, all of these things. And we felt like maybe our parents didn't love you, really. Or maybe that's even in our economy, in our work, because, you know, if that's how our world functions, because if you do this well, then you move up the ladder. But that's not how the, how the gospel operates, doesn't it? He says, I love you, period, no matter what. I love you no matter what. I learned this from a, a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Sam. Maybe you know him. He lives in Virginia. He pastors there. And he, and he said that before he, his kids go off to school, he tells them, I'm already proud of you. I already love you, even before the result of their exams. So I, I took that and I said, I want to do that with my kids. So even before when Tabitha goes off to school and she's got exams or she's got spelling you know, quizzes and she's kind of nervous about it, and I look at her and I go, Tabitha, I love you even before the results of your death. I, I love you no matter what. I'm already, I'm already proud of you. And then now they play softball and they play soccer and they're all like nervous about it. And I go, I love you regardless of the outcome. Just do your best. God will take care of the rest, right? And, and so you just try hard. And so I, in our house, we always do like, we use nonverbal communication a lot, you know, and so yeah, and with hand gestures, you know, the peace sign, you know, they're like rock on, but then there's the I love you sign, right? And we use that all the time in our house. And so a lot of times when I'm dropping off the kids, I say, I'll see you later, you know, and, and then the kids are like, you know, and then, um, and then even this morning when I was leaving Tabitha and, and, and coming to church early with Pastor Dio, I said, Tabs, I'll see you later. And she's like, yeah, I'll see you later. Barnabas is like, and we have fun with that. And so, but they, in our house, they know what this means. And we do it all the time. A lot of times we just say, I love you, love you. Yes, on the one hand, Jesus came to save us and to redeem us by his blood. But on the other hand, he came to bring glory to Jesus. He came also because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. 
On the one hand, we are absolutely nothing. We're made out of dust, which is a symbolic thing of nothingness. Dust is, uh, it means insignificant. We're made out of dust. And oftentimes we make too much of ourselves. We are nobodies and we think we're a bunch of somebodies when we're really nobodies. And we, and, but the reality is I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody and that somebody's Jesus, right? That's what uh, uh, Mark Driscoll would say. And I like that because that's true. But on the other hand, we are special. We're nobody, but we are somebody. We are set apart, loved by God, uh, the, uh, the breath of God in us. We are his masterpiece, right? We are nobodies who are really somebodies. And the problem is when we think, our, when we think we're nobodies and when we are really somebodies in God's eyes as well. So there's a, a spectrum. And some of us, we fall on this side where we think, oh, I'm a nobody. And we have this pity party. I suck, I suck, I suck. When you say that, you suck. But, when, but there's the other side when you, there's people who are like, oh, I'm arrogant. I'm so, like, look at me, look at my big chest and like, uh, look at my muscles and like, I'm all that. And like, who wants to be around such people? And so the gospel balances all of that out, doesn't it? We're like nobody and recognize that. What, what grace of God. And then, but because of the gospel, we are indeed somebody because look at the price that was paid Jesus' blood, lifeblood, spilled upon the killing tree for our redemption. Oh, don't be insecure. He loves you. We often look for love and security in all the wrong places and all the wrong people. We've made something else besides God our foundation a lot of times. In Christ, we have the permanent, unconditional love of the Father, and it will never change. It will be never be taken away. We are eternally secure and we will find our significance in him. He's well pleased with us, don't you see? You gotta remember, this is even before his ministry begins. You are his child, and you, you forever belong to him. Let me move on to the last thing, and this phrase is, with you, I am well pleased. And it settles a question about value. The Bible, I believe, tells us in many different ways that you are the apple of God's eyes. God, God is so proud of you. You are highly valued by God. And in this world, it seems like the more you have, the more you are valued, you know, according to the standards of this world. The more toys you have, the more you are valued. The more money you have in your, you know, piggy bank, the more you are um, valued. The more, you know, things you have, possessions, you are more value. Values are based on the size of things. Well, where did Jesus find his value? He found it in knowing that he is God's beloved son and that God is pleased with him. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in events for us to do. And, and I love that verse. And within that verse, I love this word workmanship, which is the word poema, which we get the word poem. And so it means that we are God's poem. We are, we are God's beauty, that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's stud puppies, right? And so your value is in the fact that God has wonderfully and intentionally made you. And how many of us feel like, man, like God doesn't love me. I'm not valued by him. And I don't like the way I am and all these things. Well, you know, Psalm 139, if you meditate on that, God says he made you intentionally. And it took me years of just finally getting to a place where I'm like, man, I, what matters most is what God thinks about me. I'm not perfect. God understands that. For my imperfection, the perfect one had to die for me. He sacrificed, and now he sees me perfectly in his eyes. 
And so, and if, and, but it, we, we, we think we see it here, but we don't believe it in our hearts. We don't feel it here. And so we got to believe it with all of our might and apply this in our living. And sometimes we don't need to new, we don't need to, we don't need to know new and profound things. We just need to believe and live out and apply the things that we already know. So where do you find your value and worth? For me as a pastor, is it in the size of my congregation? Maybe for you, is it how many friends you get on your Facebook or how many likes that you get on your Instagram or, or face, a Facebook posts? Is that where you find your value and your, your worth? You know, how much money you have or what your title is at work or what your role is in the church even? Is it in your grades or your GPA of 5.5? Is that, is that where you find your value and your worth? Or what degrees you get? Maybe even the world will say all of those things, but ultimately and first and foremost, we are empowered and we are strengthened and we find our value and worth and significance when we find our value first in Christ Jesus and what he says about us. I believe God says to us, you are affirmed, you are my child. I love you no matter what, no matter the circumstance, I love you and you are highly valued. Listen to me again, this is before Jesus does anything for you. No ministry has even started. Now meditate on that, think about that. Before you do anything, you are highly valued. He loves you. When God spoke, he voices approval of Jesus as his son. You know, a, a few years ago, I got to take my daughter on, on our, you know, our daddy-daughter dance. It was the first one, right? And I have a picture, and uh, I think you know, the one to your left is when, how the night began, and then the one to your other picture is uh, how it ended. But in between, a lot of things happened. And you know, you gotta realize, I have one daughter, and then I've got two warriors, and, uh, and so, but my daughter is like my princess. I love her, and I have to really repent of sometimes I idolize her a lot and stuff. And, but, you know, she's my daughter, my oldest, and I just really love her. And she was going on, her, and she said, Daddy, let's go on this daddy-daughter dance. And so I've never been to one of those. So I said, and I got really stoked about that. And so I left church early to come home, and I picked up my best suit. I only have two suits. I picked up my best one, got it dry-cleaned, I got a haircut. I didn't even need one, but I, I wanted to get cleaned up, right? Well, you know, I had more hair back then, so don't judge. But I, I, got, I cleaned up a little bit. And then I took a shower in the morning, but I took another shower. And then I, you know, I got flowers on the way. I mean, I went all out, right? And then, I, and then you could tell, it was like I was waiting downstairs and, and I was holding my flowers. And then I got sick to my stomach because I was like, oh my gosh, some knucklehead might do this in the future for her. But anyways, that's another story for another day. I got really, I remember I was like, I started the panic and stuff, and I go, where's my gun? Where's my, where's my bat? And so anyways, and I was holding my flowers, and I was thinking like, you know, happy thought, happy thought, and then, and then Tabitha came down, and I was like, wow, she was beautiful, you know, with the dress that Virginia had bought with her at the store, and she came down, and, and she, she was like, you know, she's beaming, and we were so happy, and then we jumped into the car, and it was like 10-minute drive to the school. The whole way there, she was like bouncing off the seat. Yeah, I can't wait to get there, and then, and then we, got, we bounced out of the car, and we were like skipping to the, the auditorium where the, the dance was happening. By the time we were already there, like music was blaring. I said, Tabitha, let's start dancing. She's like, yeah, let's do it, and she's a great dancer. I'm not so good, but I had, I had practiced some moves and stuff like that, and I was like getting down, and then, you know, suddenly she's just like, you know, uh, as we were like, uh, dancing the, you know, I was like just getting started. She, start, she started to stop, like slow down. She, start, she didn't want to dance anymore. And I was like, you know, getting kind of like 
what is going on here? And so she's like, Daddy, Daddy, I, I, let's just sit down. And I was like, what, already? We just started. And so I was like, okay, let's sit down. So we sit down in the corner and, and like, you know, the music is like all the dads and their daughters are dancing. And I'm like sitting there, come on, let's go. And like, I'm ready, girl. You know, I've been practicing, you know. And, so, and she's like, no, 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 I don't want to go. And then after like five minutes, it turned to like 10 minutes and I was getting kind of upset because I didn't get dressed up for nothing, you know. And so I was like, what's going on here? And then she said, oh, I'm hungry. And so I was like, Okay, let's go eat. So there were food trucks outside. We go outside, and I'm like pigging out. And then I look at her. She hasn't touched her food. And something was obviously, I know my daughter. She's like, you know, like really outgoing. She's like crazy, right? And so, and, and she's, I was, she was sad, and she was like not herself. And I was bothered by that. I was like, what's going on? And then I said, forget this. We're going to go back inside. We're going to have a good time. So I drag her in there, and like, and so I make, I make her like stand, and we're like you know, dancing again, but like, I'm doing all the crazy moves, you know, and she's like barely moving. And so obviously something was up. And then as I was looking at her, I met her gaze looking at another girl. And then I saw what, what happened. I was like, oh, another girl wore the same dress. <laughs> now, sisters, I don't think God's care, but I, get, I think that's a big deal. And she, but it wasn't just one girl. It was two girls. Where this, I don't know where my wife took her to get this dress. And then I get started getting mad at my wife, you know. I, I, I need to repent. I always blame her for everything, but so I, I need to repent. And so I was like, Virginia! And then I was like, I was like, and now I said, Tabitha, is that why you're, is because that gr- those girls are wearing the same dress? And she's like, and she was like, not admitting it, but it was so obvious. And then I, I just began to speak to her. I said, girl, you know, I said, look at all the other guys. Look how many bald guys are here, okay? Not many middle-aged, you know, belly coming out. We, look how many gray suits. I've got the same suit as these guys. It don't matter. The most important thing is that you and I are here together, and you got to hear me. you got to listen. you got to believe what Daddy says. The most important thing is what Daddy thinks about you. And Tabitha, I love you. I love you. I don't care what you're wearing. Okay, it could be another dress. I, I don't care if you're wearing, you know, every other girl has, I love you and I, I'm so happy to be with, here with you and I'm so proud of you. I, I, I'm so, I, I, the most important thing is that you listen to me. And no matter, like, I was like preaching to her, right? <laughs> I'm preaching to her and no matter how long, and I was sweating, like, and she and then, and it got so bad that we left. We left the dang party. We left the dang, you know, dancing. So we went, Drive 10 minutes home, and I was like, I was angry. I was not patient, and I was honest, and I was telling her, yeah, this is the, the, I've been preparing for this night, and I can't believe you won't listen to me, and I was like yelling at her, and Tabitha's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't help it, and then we go back home, and, and like, we, I slammed the door, I opened the door, I go in, and, and Virginia's like, you just got there, what happened? And she goes, what happened? And I told her the whole thing, and then when Virginia gets upset, it's like game over, and she's like, what, Tabitha, what? And it was like just going crazy. And she's like yelling at Tabitha. And told her, oh, no, yeah, I can't. And then I started yelling at Virginia, because you bought the same dress. Like, Don't you put that on me. So we need marriage counseling and prayer. And so we're like, everything, everything's crazy now. And then, um, and then eventually, like, you know, Virginia started preaching to her. And it's like, Tabitha, the most important thing is what daddy says about he loves you. Who cares what you're wearing, you know? That's the most important, that you're together, that God, that, that, that daddy loves you. And he's, you know, and, all, and she's like preaching to her. And then finally Tabitha's like, okay, okay, I'll go back. And then we said, do you want to change your dress? 
She's like, no, I'll go. And so we go back and it was a silent drive, 10 minute. We didn't bounce out of the car. She just kind of walked out slowly. And then I grabbed her hand. We walked slowly into the dance party. And then I said to her once again, Tabitha. And I literally said to her, Tabitha, and she knows I'm telling this story because I got her permission. I said, Tabitha, daddy loves you. Who cares what you're wearing? You are the most important thing to me right now, okay? I love you. You're the apple of my, I am bananas over you, okay? You stole my heart the first moments I saw you. You look kind of weird when you're born, but I, <laughs> I didn't say that, but I, but I love you. And, and, and I did tell her, God loves you. What's the most important thing is that God thinks about us. Don't you see? And I think by God's grace, it started to kind of sink in. And then we danced the night away. And I, you know, it was great. And, and we were the last ones to leave. They had to kick us out, literally. We were the last ones to leave. And, and they, were, they literally pushed us out because it was, we had such a great time. I want you to know that even today, Tabitha still struggles with that. It's a daily, constant reminder that, you know, that she needs to have that what daddy and mommy thinks about her is more important than even what other people say about her. And, and sometimes I think she hears bad stuff about her. But I think that's all of us, don't you think? Like no matter what we see in the word of God, no matter what we read in the Bible, like we still struggle with our identity and our self-worth and our value and our security. And I think constantly we need to go back to the gospel and run to the cross and be reminded of these words that Jesus says to us, you know, he is for us and not against us. He knows everything in, that's going on in our lives. He's not surprised by your, your mistakes. God's grace is bigger than your mistakes. He loves us. He's for us. You see, this was a prof- public approval that God the Father gave. God was letting John the Baptist and everyone else, you know, who heard him speak know that God the Father is absolutely pleased with his son. He was placing his divine seal of approval in a public manner upon his son. And when God says that he's pleased with his son, he's saying a lot. The word pleased means to find pleasure. But don't you see, this is not just a public approval, but this is a personal approval. Because when God spoke that day, he was also speaking for the benefit of the son. The son, I believe Jesus, the son, needed to hear those words. And how often we need to hear those words from God as well. Just like any child, Jesus' son needed to hear his father's approval. And then there was a profound approval as well. You know, these were words that every child needs to hear, some things from their father. And, 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 so, and this is also a profound approval. When God pronounced his approval of the son, he was also voicing his approval of all those who are in Christ. When a person is saved, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to them. And Romans 4 says that. In other words, when God looks upon a redeemed child of God, he does not see our vile sins and our wicked ways. He sees his son. He sees his holiness. He looks at us as though we had never sinned. How is this possible? It's because it's possible because when God saves us, he justifies us. And uh, that, not only that, he puts away our sins, uh, puts away our sins forever. He declares us to be righteous. And when he sees us, he does not see our wretchedness. He sees Christ's righteousness. And when God looks at his children, if you're in Christ this morning, he says, they are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased. And that's why we can take these words that were given to his son and make it our own. 
God sees us as his own. This has been transformational when I think about that. I think you should still care how other people think about you because that's, ministry is important. When people, you know, you should think about how you carry yourself. That's a powerful ministry, right? Your words, your faith has to match how you live your life. But can I encourage you that we would f- understand that we would find more value and worth in what God says about us in him, in him. How much does God love us? Look to the cross. Thank God that he came for us. We were doomed and headed for eternal separation from the king of love. But now we have an eternal life with him. Tim Keller says this, and I'll end it here. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. It settles a question about identity. The question is, what role uh, will most fundamentally define you? God says, whom I love, you are my beloved, I love you. And it settles a question about security. And the question is, where will you look for unconditional love? And then God says, with you I am well pleased. And this settles a question about value and worth. The question is, where will you find your value and worth? I hope you'll find it all in Christ. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that, um, that this would be our foundation, that Jesus, you are our foundation, our cornerstone, our center, our first love. And in that place of relationship with you, God, we pray, Lord God, that we would find all the things that we're looking for. The yearnings of our heart is found in you ultimately. So Father, we pray, Lord God, that those of us who are in Christ, that we would recalibrate our hearts, that we would recommit on focusing on building intimacy with you and spending time with you and building intimate relationship with you, God. Even before we do things, Lord God, that we would, Lord, be empowered by the Holy Spirit as we meditate deeply on this truth. And for those of us maybe in this room, maybe this is your first time in a church and maybe all of this is new for you. You don't understand the songs, but I'm so glad you're here, but I pray that the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart my encouragement and my prayer for you is that that you would give your life to Christ this morning don't delay but you would give your life to him today and that you would find your ultimate worth and value and security and identity now in Christ 
as a child of God. That is a free offering. You don't have to do anything. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to pay for it. You don't need to earn it. It's a free gift of salvation that God extends to you. I pray that you would take it so that you can start a new life today. Father, we pray that you would continually speak to us and that every day that you would walk with us and you remind us of the truth, that we are your child and that we would fall madly in love with you. It's in Christ's name we pray.